You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Thousands of years before cryptocurrencies polarized investment opinion, there was another asset which split mankind right down the middle. Those who believed in it did so with a zeal which those who didn't found quite off-putting, while those who thought it not worthy of their time or consideration were a constant source of bemusement for the people who placed their faith and trust in it. Since the turn of the century, it's been amongst the best-performing assets on the planet, and yet, in the broader investment community, it still struggles to find acceptance. Historically, however, this asset has a tendency to fare extremely well in an environment of rising prices. And so, as the debate about a possible return of inflation festers, its time may once again be at hand. This week, on Adventures in Finance, Gold. Today is the 1st of March 2018, and welcome to episode 56 of Adventures in Finance. Somewhere in the wild blue yonder is producer James. Come in, James. Are you there, mate? How's it going? Very good. I'm in Cape Town this week. It is a truly, truly spectacular place, I have to say. If anyone out there listening has not been to Cape Town and can find a way of getting there, I would urge you to do so at your earliest opportunity. It's it's just mind-boggling. So you actually managed to get out of the hotel at some point this last week? <laughs> yes, I did, eventually. Eventually. And uh, believe me, it was worth it. It's just... Uh, it's a remarkable place. I, I, words can't describe it. You have to come see it for yourself. Um, another remarkable place is New York, and that's where we hopefully find Alex. Are you there? It's okay. And uh, yes, I am. <laughs> Spoken like a true New Yorker. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's, okay. it's miserable, but so is everything else. Yeah, forget about it. All right. Listen, I'm the grumpy old man on this podcast, fellas. Mm-hmm. All right. So look, this week, um, we are talking about a subject close to my heart, which is gold. Uh, we've got some fantastic guests lined up. Uh, Rick Rule of Sprott Global Resources, um, dear friend of mine. Also, another dear friend, Simon Mikhailovich. And a third dear friend of mine. It's friends all the way this week. Ronnie Sturfler of Incrementum AG in Liechtenstein. But before we get into the gold conversation, it's time for the longs and the shorts. And Alex, having jumped in last week and, uh, and bogarted your uh, right to go first, I'm going to give it back to you this week and let you take first crack at this. What have you got for us? Okay, I am short pant rippers. You are short of what? <laughs> I'm short pant rippers. Pant These rippers. Are people right. who okay. people who rip pants for for a living. <laughs> um, okay. The, there was a story in the Wall Street Journal that that Levi is starting to use lasers to do these pant rippings, and something that that took 20 minutes um, now takes 90 seconds. They have a little video of 
uh, you know, a laser tearing holes in Levi jeans. So, uh, you know, the, the automation is, has come, is coming for drivers and, and it's come for pant rippers. So, Wow. Yeah. First they came for the pant rippers, eh? And I didn't speak up. Good grief. This <laughs> is, uh, this is, uh, this is, I mean, it's, it's good to see that somebody is spending their time in the uh, robotics industry coming up with, uh, with the most important inventions first. Because, um, right. you know, once we get the pant ripping sorted out, then, you know, we can move on to slightly less important stuff, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if your distressed genes aren't ripped quickly, it, it's kind of like, is there any point in, in improving healthcare at that point? It, it's, do, do you wear distressed genes, Grant, by the way? Well, you, listen, everything I own is distressed, <laughs> but, uh, but not deliberately. So, no, okay. I, I, I do have genes with holes in them, but they certainly weren't cut with a laser, and they certainly weren't made by a human being, uh, except me perhaps kneeling down in them for too long. Okay. But, I, want, um, I, I want to know wh- where you take that skill after a robot's taking your job and you've been a, a genes ripper all your life. Where do you yeah. go from there? You know, that's a very, very good question. Dad. I would imagine you end up producing a podcast. <laughs> I, knew that was I, I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, you, you really set, set that on one up, James. <laughs> All right. Now, listen, I, so I, this week, my short this week is uh, pointless and ridiculous models. And I'm talking to you, Atlanta Federal Reserve, and your ridiculous GDP now forecast. Now, this thing is remarkable. If you look at it, it always comes in at the beginning of a quarter uh, ridiculously high, and they walk it down to about a third of what it begins the quarter at, almost every single quarter without fail. This this quarter is remarkable. So it got to 5.4% for first quarter GDP. Um, and then we had the news on the 27th of February, keep that date in mind, folks, that the current expectation was 2.6%. So that's more than half, from, from uh, 5.4% to 2.6% on the 27th of February. Now, two days later, two days later, the latest forecast is 3.5%. Now, this is a $17 trillion economy uh, that they have somehow found a measure of adjusting it up by one uh, by 0.9% in two days. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous what these things are. I get the point of them, but really, does anybody follow this? I'm sure there are algorithmic trading models out there that read these headlines and actually invest people's money in the stock market based on the uh, based on the numbers spewed out by the Atlanta Federal Reserve's GDP Now forecast. So this week, I am short pointless, ridiculous models. Well, it's it's interesting because GDP itself is is a pretty rough estimation. Oh, hang on, of- Alex. No, hang on. Let me interrupt you there. Uh, it's now going to be four point nine percent. The uh, GDP first quarter just come in latest one. Sorry about that. Carry okay, on. Very good. No, I, I, even the the actual GDP numbers that we get every quarter, um, which are then revised and revised. It, even the last revision is a is a pretty rough estimate of the economy. So the idea that you could estimate the estimate with with anything that would be meaningful is. Uh, but, but what's the point of making another one two days later? I mean, yeah. realistically, why are you even bothering? Oh, hang on. No, it's back down to two point six percent as we're talking. Back down to two point six. It's. I mean, the whole thing is just ludicrous. It really, really drives me nuts. This stuff. Anyway, that's my rant over um, for now. Let's see what happens when we get to the longs. Alex, what is your long for the week? I am long tennis. Tennis. All right. I'll so, buy it. Why? Well, there was a number from the uh, the NFL. The NFL's uh, uh, lead uh, medical officer, Alan Sills. 
Um, apparently, there were 291 diagnosed concussions in the NFL in 2017, uh, which is a rise uh, compared to, in compares to 250 in 2016. Um, probably has to do with more reporting of concussions since most of the surge came in preseason play. Um, still points to a, a big issue in the NFL. There was recently a huge class action suit uh, having to do with brain injuries. And the fact that concussions keep rising, at least the reported numbers, I feel like if uh, for parents out there, they might see these numbers and, and football is still one of the most popular, if not the most popular sports in, in American high schools. And that's American football. And as, as people see these numbers, I think, I think people will say, you know, how about a nice relaxing game of tennis instead? Why, why don't you go play tennis, Billy, rather than uh, ram your head into someone else's at top speed? <laughs> Listen, this is this is what this is what little boys do. Unfortunately, they run around charging, banging their heads into each other. That's that's you know, that's what they do. But it's I mean, so much. You, you, if you take that away from the kids, what have they got left apart from PlayStation? Hey, you know, tennis. It, 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 you're on a nice little court. That the balls smell nice. It, it's um, to me. That's what I would do as a high schooler. But you know, I, I, for the rest of this podcast, I'm now going to be wondering why. The smell of a tennis ball is the first thing that comes to mind when you're talking about why people should want to play tennis. I, I, I'm a little, I'm not going to lie to you, Alex. I'm a little bit frightened about this now. <laughs> All right. Well, but before we get to uh, my long, I just would like to interrupt the podcast to let you know that the Atlanta Fed GDP now forecast is unchanged at 2.6% since we last mentioned it. So I am long. Here we go again. Uh, take a deep breath. I am long the madness of cryptocurrencies once again. Mm. Now, there's a fantastic story in the Chinese press this week about uh, a selfie app-linked cryptocurrency, which apparently raised eyebrows with a meteoric debut. Now, it's a new digital token which is lim- linked to a beauty app operator called Mytu Inc. And um, this is an app that basically helps you take selfies and uh, you know touches them up so you look great. And they, they released a, a beauty ecosystem coin, a BEC, which listed on a cryptocurrency exchange OKX um, out in Asia last Friday. And the price went from $0.09 cents to $80. That's about a $4,000 rise uh, before it fell from $80 to $4. Now, this is all in the same day. Um, and, and the article is great. It says at the time of publications, the price was down to $0.73. Uh, cents. But that still gave it a market capitalization of over $5 billion. Now, what's remarkable about this, according to uh, Etherscan, which is an analytics platform in the crypto space, there were over 24,000 BEC token holders at the time of publication, but four wallet addresses held 99.9% of all the tokens in circulation. I mean, this is just unbelievable stuff going on here. So 0.1% of the float goes up 4,000% and back down again. Um, and you know, and and people want to talk about how these things are stores of wealth. I just find the whole thing just phenomenally fun to watch. But my God, you couldn't get me to play these things with other people's money unless it was yours, James. No. <laughs> no nicely done, you king of banter and repartee. You. <laughs> so, so the, the, does the coin help you take selfies, or the coin just tracks the selfies you're taking, or, or what? What's the actual purpose of this coin? Now, the funny thing, Alex, actually, is they're actually, they didn't raise any money through the coin offering. They didn't actually raise any money for themselves. Uh, the public could buy tokens as investments, guess who they were buying them from. Um, but the team uh, behind this beauty app actually gave away the coins. Uh, if, you, if you're an investor, you got 18 free tokens when you open a new account. Um, and if you invite new users, they get, uh, th- I think, three coins it was. But... Uh, 
the way they've done it was basically a way of getting around the whole thing being called an ICO because those have been banned ah. in China. Uh, and obviously you generate a massive amount of press coverage and uh, rabid enthusiasm with, uh, for, with the, for these things that went up 4,000% in a day. I mean, it's, it's just, it's the wild, wild west. As I said, it's, it's fascinating to watch. But dear God, I mean, you've got to have, uh, you've got to have um, some kind of courage to get involved in these things. Well, hopefully or, you're not. I believe the other way they're describing it is inside information. <laughs> hopefully you're not putting your last uh, dollar in, in the uh, in, in the beauty coins. It's not, you know, hopefully you don't have like a 60% stocks, 30% bonds, 10% beauty coins uh, portfolio. Yeah. L- listen, if there was an app that could take a photo of me and make it beautiful, that I would invest in. But I, I honestly think that is uh, it's going to take more than robots to come up with technology that is capable of doing that. Trust me. All right, we need to get on uh, and move away from the long, short segment and get into our feature for the week, which is gold. Now, gold is a subject anyone that's listened to me before knows it's something close to my heart, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have got to, to know a lot of really, really smart people in that space. So rather than listen to me waffle on about gold uh, again, we figured we would invite them to come on and just give us an update on what they were thinking about gold because it's kind of gone quiet. Um, and a lot of people that I talk to in the space are starting to see some signs that encourage them that maybe we're starting to see A, inflation rise again, which is normally a, a decent environment for gold, but B, just some interest return to the sector. We're close on some technical levels. So we thought it was a great idea to get some, some guys on to, uh, to find out what their current thinking is on gold. And first up um, is a gentleman who needs no introduction. I'm going to give him one anyway. And that's Rick Rule of Sprott Global Resources. And Rick joins us from San Diego, California. Rick, welcome. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. So, so let's talk about gold. It, it, it seems, just to my novice eyes, like like this was, is, a, is a kind of disappointing start to a year for gold. It, it seems like there's a lot going for it. The dollar's falling. Uh, we saw a big volatility explosion. And yet gold has... has kind of just sat there. What, what, what do you make of the action we've seen? Uh, you know, I think Grant would uh, join me in saying that gold has done its job. Uh, if you look through 2017, uh, gold maintained its purchasing power. It maintained its liquidity, which is what we're asking it to do now. Certainly volatility has returned to this market, but you don't see the sort of broadly based fear around any asset class, treasuries, uh, European gilts, equities, real estate. You don't see the terror that uh, often propels gold to greater heights. So I would suggest to you that the, uh, <laughs> that the gold market is sort of like grandma's soup, not too hot, not too cold, just right. <laughs> So uh, wh- wh- where's the temperature of the soup going, if I, uh, if I could be so bold? My suspicion is it gets a little hotter, but you need to understand, I'm a gold bug. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm one of those kind of people who believes that you need a medium of exchange that's simultaneously a store of value. I'm one of those people who looks beyond the narrative and looks at the debt in our country, as an example, and on corporate balance sheets and individual balance sheets, and says the risk is that this debt either gets reputed formally by default or informally through debasement. So for me, time is on gold's side. I need to tell you, I hope I'm wrong, 
the circumstance that causes the gold price to go up quickly are almost always invariably unpleasant circumstances. And I have a very pleasant life. I would love to be wrong. I just sleep better as a gold owner. <laughs> so so maybe you could uh, lay out that scenario in, in a little more detail. Like, what, What is the scenario that you see as... Uh, maybe not high, a high probability, but but some probability that would send gold much higher. Well, I, I guess there's something that I think absolutely will occur, and then some things that I think might occur. In the absolutely will occur camp, uh, we have either reached the end or we are near the end of a 35-year bull market in the U.S. 10-year Treasury. The rate has fallen from 15.6 to as long as to as low as 1.4 before settling out at 2.7 or 2.8. Uh, I think the most important determinant of the gold price in the last 40 years has been uh, faith in the U.S. dollar, particularly faith in the dollar as expressed by the U.S. 10-year Treasury, which I think is the benchmark instrument. Two problems with the Treasury. You can't take the interest rate very much lower. That's one problem. Uh, another problem is perceptions in the market of the deteriorating purchasing price, purchasing value of the U.S. dollar. If you rely, like most Americans do, on the estimates from the consumer price index, there is a suggestion that real inflation is about 1.6% a year. And so 2.7% offers you reasonable compensation. Uh, I, however... Uh, have a nagging suspicion that that 1.6 number is problematic. In the first instance, when it's inconvenient, they don't include food or fuel. That would be highly inconvenient for me if they took it literally, because I both eat and drive, of course. But the second problem with the index is they don't include tax, which is certainly my part of my cost of living. So my own supposition is that the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar in the context of the basket of goods and services that I consume, and I grudgingly put tax in a service, that the purchasing power of my dollar is depreciating at about 4% compounded. So they're proposing to pay me 2.7% in a currency where the purchasing power of the principal is declining by 4% per annum. Uh, I think it was Franz Pick who described that transaction as a certificate of guaranteed confiscation. So uh, I think that's the, the first circumstance that you have to think of, that the anti-gold, the U.S. 10-year treasury, uh, probably is at the end of its bull market, which would suggest conversely that gold is at the beginning of its bull market. The second thing is, and uh, you know, wrapping that sort of all in with inflation, I think we have a circumstance, I'm afraid we have a circumstance, where the solvency of many parts of society, the federal government, state and local governments, many pension schemes, many individuals, some corporations, the solvency, that is the amount of debt they have relative to their earnings power going forward, is questionable, in fact, problematic. But concern about that solvency has been masked over as a consequence of liquidity. I really believe that some of the confidence that you're seeing in debt markets and equity markets is a function of people mistaking liquidity for solvency. Let me give you a ridiculous example. 
if you were to have a million dollar mortgage and you were making only $50,000 a year, you would be insolvent. But if you had $10,000 in your pocket, you would be liquid. In other words, it was a problem for later, not a problem for now. And my suspicion is that we have gotten by for some extended period of time because we were liquid rather than solvent. I think we have begun to see just in the last little while concern expressed over an allegedly conservative Republican legislature that has decided once again to quote Cheney that deficits don't matter. Uh, a deficit this year in the current account of between a trillion dollars and $1.3 trillion, a promise, ironically, to uh, uh, add uh, over a, a few years uh, an enormous amount to the deficit, and then a promise over and above on top of that to increase infrastructure spending. The question, the question ultimately comes down to using what for money and using whose money for money. And all of that over time is bullish for gold. Now, if those realizations, if the realization that we were substituting liquidity for solvency uh, came into the market and caused more consternation, more panic, more days with the VIX above 20, more days with the VIX above 30, interest rates that rose of their own volition not because they were allowed to raise rise by the Fed, I think the policy response that you would see would stimulate much, much higher gold prices. I hope that set of circumstances doesn't happen, but I suspect it may. Just switching gears a bit, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, two years ago would have been laughable, a year ago would have sounded a bit absurd, and, and now is, is maybe almost approaching the realm of plausibility, and you probably already know what I'm going to ask, which is, whether Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is, is taking just a little of the um, store of value uh, excitement from gold. In other words, as the younger generation commits more capital, they'll look more to Bitcoin and maybe a little bit less to gold to, to store their, their value there. I don't think the cryptocurrencies are capturing any of the store of value trade. I think they are capturing a substantial part of the anonymity trade, which is different than the store of value trade. And I think that the momentum in cryptocurrencies has impacted the physical silver market, which has always been more of a narrative and momentum market. Right now, we're seeing tightness throughout the market in retail physical gold products, and we're seeing a plethora of supply in retail physical silver products. So I think that the dis disintermediation that you're seeing in physical precious metals markets from the cryptos is impacting silver more than gold, but I do think it's real. Can you just talk a little more about uh, the impact on the silver market? Uh, I think that the, uh, the silver buyer is somebody who may or may not subscribe to the gold narrative, but is more driven to price volatility. Uh, we joke that the silver buyer is sort of a gold bug on steroids. Silver moves later than gold moves, but it moves much more dramatically. And so the buyers of silver are more interested in price volatility, upside volatility to be specific, than the gold buyer who has traditionally bought it as a substitute for insurance 
when he or she was not buying it for anonymity. And the price action that the cryptocurrencies enjoyed last year uh, belied any usefulness that they might have as mediums of exchange because nobody would dare spend them for fear that the price would go up and make the object that they had acquired frightfully expensive. So the circumstance occurred last year where the cryptocurrencies ceased to be currencies and became really trading tokens. And that trading token really appealed to that particular subset of precious metals investors that likes the volatility in silver. That actually dovetails nicely with something else I was going to ask, which is I've heard the argument that late in the economic cycle, um, even those who think gold and silver might both be good investments might see uh, a, a little better performance in silver. I mean, in that, in these kinds of scenarios you outline where gold goes much higher, silver obviously could go much, much higher because it has kind of a higher beta to gold. What, what, do you, what do you think about the idea of if you're not doing this as a store of value, but more as a, as a tactical thing looking out to the next one or two years to use silver rather than gold? If you are a trader, I think you forsake both gold and silver, and you look to silver equities. Silver equities, unlike silver itself, are scarce. The population of reasonable quality uh, silver equities relative to the market capitalization of silver in uh, circulation or gold equities is such that although silver should, if passed as prologue, outpace gold, the moves that one would see in that circumstance from the silver equities would be truly spectacular. Hmm. Rick, thanks so much for joining us. Where can people find more of your, your great uh, thoughts? I would love it if people visited our website. Uh, that's www.sprotsthoughts.com. And as always, I would extend an invitation to Real Vision listeners and viewers. If they want to have me rank their resource stock portfolios, I would welcome them to send them to me via email personally at rrule, that's R-R-U-L-E, at sproutglobal.com. If you include in the text your natural resource portfolios, I'll rank them and send them back. Absolutely no obligation. That, that's, a, that's pretty cool. I, I, that's a nice uh, offer, Rick. It's been very interesting for me. I've met lots of nice people doing it, and I, I think I've helped a lot of people with their portfolios. Yeah, I, I fear mine might fail your test, but, but I suspect Grant <laughs> might do a little better. But uh, anyway, uh, thanks so much for your time today, Rick. Pre really appreciate Always it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so I think he does make a good point about Bitcoin not replacing gold anytime soon. But his point, his secondary point about uh, Bitcoin maybe replacing some of the demand for silver, since silver is a, a levered plan gold and maybe it's more of a, a trading uh, instrument than gold is. I, I think that was an interesting point. I, I think that, you know, people who really believe in inflation and, and the drop of the dollar, I could see them buying Bitcoin instead of silver as a trade. Yeah, you know, my, my, my gut tells me that... Um that as much as I can, I can understand the, uh, the the crossover in the cryptocurrency and the precious metal space. I, I just, you know, I, I, look, I've learned to listen to Rick about everything precious metals related. Um, you know, he's been in the game a lot longer than I have, and he understands this stuff way better than I will. So I always defer to him on these things. But I don't know, something about that just doesn't quite jive to me. But we'll see. We'll see. But listen, moving on, our next guest um, joins us from uh, Liechtenstein, of all places, uh, in the middle of Europe. Uh, and Ronnie Sturfler of Incrementum AG is um, 
one of the so-called young guns of the gold market. He's a super bright guy, um, really, really does some fantastic work. And uh, I wanted to get Ronnie on to talk to him about uh, the work he's done with regards how gold performs in, in different kind of inflationary, deflationary environments. So let's bring him in. Ronnie, welcome to Adventist in Finance, my friend. Hi, Grant. Good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, look, it's, it's always fun. You and I have had some great conversations over the years. And uh, whenever I'm trying to get my head around gold, you're absolutely one of the guys that I think, you know, I need to just pick Ronnie's <laughs> brains about this. And uh, one of the things that I really want to, um, to talk to you about is the change in environment that's, that appears to be occurring. You know, pe- people think about gold in inflationary terms and deflationary terms and what it does under those two scenarios. But there's kind of a shadow area in between in both directions. And you've done some amazing work about this. So, so if you can, I'd like you to lay out the, the different environments that perhaps people have missed and then explain why um, perhaps one of them is, is most important to recognize and understand what gold does in those circumstances. Well, um, we wrote, I think, more than 1,000 pages of research about uh, gold, uh, you, you know, our annual In Gold We Trust report. And, and we, we, we crunched the numbers and we found out that uh, actually, actually not the absolute level of inflation, of price inflation counts, um, but rather the direction. And even more importantly, um, real rates and especially the direction of real rates is extremely important for future gold prices. So um, quite recently, we saw that that price inflation was 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 rising. Uh, it seems to be come kind of a concern for for the Fed. I mean, they they don't realize it yet, but it's it's some kind of a kind of a threat. It seems. Um, but actually, bond yields were rising even faster than inflation. So actually, uh, real rates um, were rising, which means opportunity costs for gold. And that's, per definition, uh, kind of a negative environment for gold. Now, going forward, I, I, I think um, the, the discussion about real rates is probably the, the most important um, point to analyze for the future or the long term development for gold. Do we really think that we will see significantly higher real rates? I just had a look at the US debt situation and until 2022, they will just um, create uh, 5 trillion more uh, debt. So they will be at 25 trillion by 2022. just one number. It, 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 I think it's, 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 it's really fascinating. Um, the U.S. deficit last year in 2017 was was 1.2 trillion, which is larger than the size of the Australian economy. So, put, to put it in a nutshell, due to the debt situation, we simply cannot afford significantly higher real rates. And this is going to be a very, very positive environment for gold. Now, um, I, I think and I, and I, and I, and I uh, presented that several times the last couple of weeks, we should not forget that there's massive headwinds for the price of gold at the moment. Um, you know, we, we, we're still seeing that uh, the equity markets are, are, are kind of doing well. Uh, of course, there was a big warning shot uh, end of January, beginning of February. But still, yeah, we're, we're 
trading very close to to all-time highs. Um, real estate markets all over the world are still doing pretty well. Bond markets are doing well. Um, we're seeing that cryptocurrencies are stealing the show. Um, people kind of regained trust in, 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 in the financial system and even central bankers and politicians. So um, I think that the, 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 the current environment is, is not a typically positive environment for gold. But still, gold is doing pretty well. I mean, we've been up 13% in dollar terms last year. We've been up in every major currency but the euro. And in euro terms, gold was down only 1%, so, so not that bad. So I think, based on the Dow theory, we're at the beginning of the second stage, which is the public participation phase. But at the moment, there is still quite some headwinds, but those headwinds, especially um, um, uh, the economic situation and inflation, will be major triggers for the Fed to discontinue their 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 uh, rate hike path and and I think this is exactly going to be the point in time when gold will pick up momentum the point when the market realizes the emperor has no clothes the fed has to go back and uh, even kind of reconsider another round of qe you know it's funny um we, we talk about this stuff and we've been talking about it for years i think any of us that follow gold um you know we're all kind of getting bored of listening to our own voices frankly about talking about this stuff i mean it, it, it is we are waiting for awareness to change and we are waiting for um, markets to kind of understand. And, and maybe it does take the Fed backing off their strong commitment to these rate hikes. Um, but, you know, on, on a slightly different topic, the, the environment of rising inflation versus inflation is something that we seem to be moving into. Um, you know, we, we haven't reached high inflation, but that period where inflation starts to pick up um, and it becomes evident to people that prices are starting uh, to gather momentum, you know, that seems to be the part of the cycle where gold actually performs the best. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that perhaps I, I, I may um, um, uh, tell you a bit more about, about, about my background, which is very much influenced by the Austrian School of Economics. And the Austrian School says inflation doesn't mean rising, rising prices. That's only a consequence. So, um, in, the, in the Austrian framework, inflation basically means inflating um, or, or expanding um, um, the monetary base or, or other monetary aggregates. The second stage is asset price inflation, and the third stage is price inflation, which is measured by those kind of weird baskets, PCI. Um, CPI, whatever. Um, so, based on this framework, we already got massive monetary inflation. Just last year, we had four trillion um, of liquidity printed by the major central banks. We've got massive asset price inflation, as I said before, uh, in the bond markets, real estate markets, and equity markets. So, based on this framework, the third stage, price inflation would be the final stage. And I think we're really at the beginning of this phase. Just have a look at um, uh, PPI numbers. Um, just follow the globalized uh, inflation trends. It's, it's not only US-centric. We're seeing that inflation is picking up 
all over the globe. And and I think this is the, the, the my major criticism when it comes to uh, when it comes to the hubris of, of central bankers. Um, you just cannot time and 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 control our our monetary system, our economy, our society, like in those very sophisticated models. So once the inflation genie um, is out of the bottle, it can pick up momentum really badly. And 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 I think you know um, that's that's basically. Um, um, Something that uh, when it comes to investors, nobody is, 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 is really prepared for at the moment. Ray Dalio, he's probably not the worst investor, I would say. He, he just said the two main risk factors for the average portfolio are less than expected growth and more than expected inflation. So stagflation would probably be the, 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 the worst case scenario for every normal portfolio. And and I think um, as it at, at, at things develop at the moment, that might happen. So we crunched the numbers again, and 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 we analyzed what's performing best in falling inflation environment and in rising inflation environment. Of course, in an environment of falling inflation, equities and fixed income are doing best. But in an environment on, of rising inflation. It's precious metals, commodities, energy equities, and mining equities performing best. And we are seeing massive relative strength in some of these sectors. Um, we're seeing that the commodity complex is, 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 is making a bottom, is, is, is really looking interesting, uh, not only on a relative basis, but also in absolute terms. And we're seeing that uh, the equity market as well as the bond market seems to be rolling over. And I think that's kind of a confirmation that rising inflation um, might be a big concern for markets, but nobody is really positioned in those sectors. I mean, um, there was uh, David David Harkill, um, the CEO of Franco Nevada uh, on Bloomberg today, and he said, right now gold has been so boring and asleep that nobody cares. Um, it's the first time even my schedule isn't filled. So gold is super boring. Nobody is interested in it. Uh, it's even worse with uh, silver, which I like uh, even more. Uh, and that makes me pretty confident regarding the outlook. So listen, let, let me, let's play devil's advocate here because as I said, you and I have talked about gold a lot over the years. And uh, as I said earlier on, all the guys that, that follow gold, uh, we're all beginning to sound like broken records. I mean, I totally understand that. I mean, gold has done remarkably well since 2000. You know, we had that we had the, the the cyclical corrections that began in 2011, but it's done pretty well the last couple of years. And so, but but because it hasn't exploded higher, people kind of go, oh, you know, the gold guys keep talking about gold going up and going up, and it never really does anything. You know, it, it's done what it's supposed to do, um, and it's it's preserved purchasing power better than just about anything. But but when you have these conversations with people and 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 you hear them. Uh, throwing back at you that, well, you know, when are we getting this move to 5,000 that everybody talks about? For me, it's never about the price. But but what do you see as you look forward uh, through the rest of 2018? Uh, you know, what do you see in store for gold? Well, for, first of all, I, I, I think we, we uh, I, I never 
hoped for gold prices uh, reaching, I don't know, five or 10,000, because that would mean uh, that the environment, the general environment wouldn't probably uh, yeah, be nice or comfortable. That, that would go hand in hand with very high inflation, um, riots, whatever. So, so this is not something that I uh, really hope for. Um, for. For me, it's 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 kind of a monetary insurance, and 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 I think gold is something um, to to preserve, to long term preserve purchasing power, which which gold is obviously doing very very well. Um, so going forward, uh, I, I I think that you know um, there's there's many many interesting uh, factors going forward. We we have seen Jay Powell um, being. <laughs> Yeah, unexpectedly hawkish. Uh, I think he he also kind of said um, that um, uh, the 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 Greenspan put seems to be over. So so um, uh, at least as as he's talking for now, um, um, it it seems that he doesn't focus on on the stock market um, too much. Um, we'll see. I, I think that uh, as soon as the as the S and P will be down 10, 15 percent, whatever, of course, the Fed will 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 come in again and 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 save the market. But but this should also be an environment where gold will really pick up momentum. We have seen um, through the crash um, end of January, beginning of February, um, that gold basically went sideways while well, many people were expecting gold to shoot higher um, but this is something that normally just doesn't happen so um, real stress scenarios also like in 2008 are, are, are not uh, is not the environment where, where gold really goes 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 significantly higher it 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 it, it uh, gains in, in 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 on a relative basis but the measures that are taken by central bankers and politicians this is really the big um uh the big influencer for gold going forward so um you know lowering rates again fiscal stimulus monetary stimulus and so on those are important triggers, and from my point of view, the U.S. economy is not doing as well as as as, as most people say. Um, just have a look at G Chicago PMI, City Surprise Index, uh, the yield curve. Of course, um, we're just in a very very late stage of the cycle, and now the two most important letters of 2018 will be QT. Um, I think that the market is completely um, 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 underestimating the consequences of quantitative tightening, not only in the US, but also um, in the in the Eurozone. <laughs> There's even some, some talk of tightening uh, in Japan uh, and in England. So 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 I think this this big paradigm shift from globalized quantitative easing to globalized quantitative tightening this will be a real stress test for markets, and and I think this will be most of the most uh, one one of the most biggest uh, uh, drivers for gold. But we should not forget at the moment um, things that make me a bit concerned. Um, we, we're seeing that um, the gold silver ratio 
isn't really looking well. So based on our numbers, normally silver should outperform gold within um, a, a strong momentum phase of the bull market. At the moment, we're seeing silver underperforming, which is also kind of showing some deflationary pressure. We're seeing that uh, gold stocks are massively underperforming gold. So since October 2017, gold is up 3%, while the uh, gold box index is down 12%. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of in a wait-and-see mode, but I could definitely see 1450, 1500 until the end of the year. Well, Ronnie, look, um, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as I said, you know, I'm fortunate that I get to talk to you a lot about this stuff and um, I, I can't recommend your work highly enough. So please tell the audience out there how they can find you and where they can read your work and, and give us the update on the next uh, report in Gold We Trust because anybody out there that follows the gold markets, even, even remotely, needs to read that report. It's just essential. Thank you very much, Grant. Um, well, um, all information, uh, so all the... Um, the last 11 gold reports can be found on our webpage uh, in goldwithtrust.li, which stands for Liechtenstein, uh, or in goldwithtrust.report. Both domains work. Uh, and more information about our other research, uh, inflation chart book that we're currently preparing, uh, a new book, our advisory board, transcripts, and so on, can be found on our webpage, incrementum.li. And yeah, we're already working 24-7 on the next In Gold We Trust report, and it will be published on the 29th of May. So watch out. And now listen, don't forget your Twitter handle, because uh, I follow you, and the other people out there following gold should follow you. So give people your Twitter handle too. Yeah, it's, it's Ron Stoefele. It's my oh, weird. Listen, you know you're going to have to spell that. <laughs> so either Ron, spell it or, or, or say it in a really bad English accent. <laughs> Ron, like Ron Paul, um, and then Stoefele, S-T-O-E-F-E-R-L-E. So if you would say it in German, my last name is Stoefele, which is really hard for English-speaking people. Know, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to help or hinder people. Anyway, Ronnie, it's always a pleasure, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, gentlemen. Pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, we, we touched on it there. Ronnie's uh, and his partner, uh, Mark, write this uh, just tremendous report in Gold We Trust. It's free. Anyone uh, who's interested in the precious metal space um, and wants to learn more about Austrian economics, the, the amount of work they put into this thing is just extraordinary. It's a fantastic report. Um, Ronnie's given you all the links there to, to download it. And really the work that, uh, that Ronnie and Mark are doing uh, in this space in terms of understanding the dynamics of gold, not just around the price, but how it, it reacts in different environments, is, is truly groundbreaking. And it's, uh, it's a fantastic resource. I read it every year, and I would urge anyone interested in the space to do the same. Very good. And finally, we have Simon Mikhailovich of Tocqueville Bullion Reserve. Simon, welcome to the program. Thank you. Now, the subject at hand is gold, and this is something that you and I have spent our fair share of hours discussing over the years. Uh, and your perspective is always an interesting one to me, and, and, and I love talking to you about this stuff. Now, gold is something that kind of a lot of people are bored of and a lot of people have kind of got fed up with because uh, what's important to them, i.e. the price, hasn't gone the way they thought it was going to be. But I know you don't think of gold uh, like me, in terms of price, to to you, it's a, a, a it's a much um, much more varied investment decision. So I wanted to, if we could, get you to talk about the way you think about gold um, as a part of a portfolio. 
Well, thank you, Grant. I mean, the first thing to know is I'm not a gold bug, so I don't view gold as an end in itself. Um, I'm a financial investor who has come to certain conclusions about the uh, state of the financial system and the state of uh, prospects for financial assets and their purchasing power and came to gold as a solution to a problem. So it's not an investment in uh, sort of in its own right. To me, it's more of a solution to a problem that I see. Now, the market, there, well, as we know, there, it's a, you know, the story of gold is a tale of two markets. There, there are more than two markets. There's market for jewelry. There's market uh, for uh, sovereign gold. Um, uh, there's some technological demand. But the real two markets here are the financial investors and the physical buyers of gold. And these markets have very different ideas as to what the reason, uh, as to why they're buying gold. Uh, what its value to them is, and so forth. And, you know, Ben Hunt, who is frequently appears on um, Real Vision, um, writes Epsilon Theory letters, where he lays out pretty well uh, his ideas about uh, narrative and uh, uh, common knowledge, which is essentially everybody knows that everybody else knows that higher interest rates are bad for gold. Everybody knows that everybody knows that uh, higher inflation is good for gold, or that the higher dollar is bad for gold. So all of this type of thinking and these markets exist in parallel universe at the moment because the narrative, the common knowledge in the narrative is that uh, things are good. And so financial assets uh, or the dollar deposits are all, or gold for that matter, gold position, are all mutually uh, substitutable. And so the question is not about the risk. The question is about how much money, what is more attractive to hold in terms of return. And so when interest rates are going up in the apparent absence of higher inflation, which is a whole separate subject, then the knee-jerk reaction for the traders is, okay, uh, Fed's going to raise rates. That puts the pressure on gold because then financial assets generate more income, uh, real income, it is considered, because inflation, CP, as measured by the CPI, is low, and that uh, triggers uh, some price sell-off in the short term. So uh, let's just take one of these. Let's take the interest rate. So the thesis is that uh, Fed is going to continue r rising interest rates based on the testimony the other day of the new uh, Fed chairman, and that is seen in the absence of inflation as the fact that the real rates are going higher. Well, you have to pause and, and ask yourself a couple of questions. I mean, can that really happen uh, in the situation we are today? So, for instance, specifically on that subject, I just uh, saw this data that the interest expense on public debt in the United States uh, in 2017 was the highest on record. So we, so the federal government had the highest interest expense it has ever had. Now, this has happened in a year when the average interest rate paid on uh, debt was the lowest on record. So the rate that the government is paying on its debt is the lowest ever, but the amount it has paid is the highest ever. Now, of course, we know that the debts are the highest ever. Now, the importance of this is as follows. The trick to accumulating excessive debts that we have seen, not just in the government, but across the entire universe, for uh, by universe, I mean all over the world, debts are higher by 40% than they were in 2007 today. This is over $220 trillion now. Uh, the trick in, in building up that much debt, in part, was the fact that the interest rates kept going down. 
So uh, when I looked, uh, you know, a few years ago, I, I noticed that in 1998, for example, was the highest, previous highest point when the United States paid, uh, I forgot what it was, 300 some billion dollars in annual interest expense, and it paid the same amount in 2011 and 12. Now, in 2011 and 12, it had three times as much debt as it had in 1998. So the trick to accumulating this debt was the fact that the ever-growing debt was accompanied by the ever-reducing rates. But once the rates reached the low point and have stayed at this low level, fluctuating a little bit for a long period of time, what has started to happen, and this is what we're seeing now in 2017 numbers, is that even though the rates aren't going up, interest expense has been going up because the debt has been going up. So even at a very low uh, rate of, of debt service, the fact that you keep accumulating more and more debt, we have passed the low point. And so now the, so the inflection point of the uh, declining interest rates offsetting the increase in debt has now been passed and well behind us. So is the Fed going to continue raising rates when the federal government has just borrowed another, you know, 1.2 trillion is the latest numbers. I think after the um, there was a pause because of the debt ceiling, uh, the indebtedness has just jumped by 1.2 trillion. I mean, is the federal government in the position to send, you know, half half of its uh, revenues uh, into interest expense? I mean, that's basically what we're dealing with. So when there's a uh, common knowledge game, or when there's a uh, narrative that's prevailing, and it's been prevailing. You, it it, it uh, pays to ask whether that narrative holds any water. And I think the facts say that the narrative is probably uh, mistaken. But because the majority of the people feel that way, the, the majority of investors feel that way, that is what drives the markets. And that's why the gold price has been set in the financial markets, where people speculate with gold based on these notions of interest rates, the dollar, and so forth. These are notions about return on capital and maximizing that return on capital. These are not the notions about return off capital or worrying about protecting capital because there has not been a need, or at least there's been not been a perception of the need to do that. When that changes, and as we saw in a few weeks ago in the VIX space, when narrative changes, it changes overnight and viciously, uh, all of that will be out the window and there'll be a completely different paradigm. And that is the story of this gold market, and that's a story that will continue until there's a, a, a shift in in, uh, in narrative. Simon, let me ask you, you, you said at the beginning there um, that you saw gold as the solution to a problem. And I'd love you to talk about what that what you see that problem to be, because obviously different people have different problems, but but I know from talking to you in the past that the specific problem that you see gold as a solution to is perhaps not the one that most people have uppermost in their minds. I see gold as a solution to a number of problems. Uh, the, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to answer. This is a short podcast. We're dealing with sort of existential issues uh, of our lifetimes uh, in a way. And I don't say that uh, to fear monger or to uh, make it sound like, you know, doomsday. Once in a lifetime, typically, financial system and financial arrangements get reorganized. This happened in the 1930s, the last time in the United States. It happened in the milder form in the 1970s when the dollar was devalued uh, by Richard Nixon. But monetary reform and restructuring of the financial arrangements is not uh, a uh, 
physical nature of catastrophe. It is perhaps a financial catastrophe for people with, with uh, savings to lose. And so in that sense, the problem that I see, uh, there are multiple problems. One is um, that there is excessive indebtedness. And we can you know, spend a lot of time discussing how that happened, but I think people, it would behoove people to think, to stop and think, why is it that since 1980s, um, growth and prosperity have been inextricably linked with the increase, massive increase in global debts across, across the world? So I mean, clearly, the implication is that consumption has been subsidized by debt. So we've been borrowing to consume more than uh, we can afford. And because we have been borrowing this money and consuming more than we can afford, uh, capacities across the services and, and, uh, and goods have been built to meet that level of demand. So in a world where that is very interconnected, we essentially have overcapacity, global overcapacity in a lot of areas. And this overcapacity continues to exist because of the continuing increases in debt. And this is inextricably linked to the d- dynamic I described in the first part of reducing interest rates. So, so the problem that I see that this pattern is unsustainable. It is unsustainable because the rates cannot really go up without having to restructure all of these debts. And in fact, there are only three ways to get out of debts. You can either restructure them, you can inflate, meaning you can devalue the purchasing power of the debts, uh, or you can grow out of it. Well, for a number of reasons, which is, again, a subject of potentially long discussion, including demographics and other reasons, it doesn't seem to be feasible that we could grow our way out of the, the hole or the size of the hole that we've dug ourselves. So then deflation or inflation are the only remaining paths. Both of them destroy purchasing power of financial assets. They destroy the purchasing power of savings. And when I say purchasing power, because people think in terms of nominal prices, but, you know, uh, stock market can double. Or, for example, during the 70s, stock market went up, I don't know, 15% over 10 years, but the purchasing power of the currency collapsed by 60%. So, in fact, a stock portfolio lost 50% of its purchasing power. So, in nominal terms, it looked like it grew a little bit. In real terms, it bought half as much as it did before in terms of goods and services. So the focus is purchasing power. The problem that I see before us, because of the excessive debts, uh, because of the rising inequality, which brings up political issues, is one way or another diminution of purchasing power of savings and financial assets. And I include in that real estate because a lot of it is levered, or most of it is levered, and therefore behaves as financial asset and its price is, is levered to the performance of uh, financial assets. And so in, in, in an environment where we've had clearly a number of bubbles, uh, just reading today how, you know, a painting, uh, last latest painting sold for what, 450 or 500 some million dollars, and now they're saying, oh, a billion dollar painting is soon upon us. Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, that means that there's inflation that's raging in pockets somewhere where the money that's been printed through QE and other forms have flowed. So people, we don't see consumer inflation because of technological innovation, because of globalization, and because consumers didn't get the money that got printed. The rich and the banks got the money. So where's inflation? In risk assets, in, in, uh, in luxury goods, in collectible cars, in $100 million apartments in New York. That may not be a concern to an average citizen, but it should be, because it is a symptom of a lur- lurking symptom of a bigger problem, that this money is sitting there and it's causing uh, this extra money is sitting there and it's causing problems and it will spill into the broader uh, society at the right moment. So what I'm concerned about 
is how to sequester a portion of one's savings away from these risks. And I concluded that gold, uh, because of its independence from the financial system, from the governments, from counterparty risk, uh, because of its universal liquidity around the world in the history and, and the recognition that it enjoys ahead of pretty much any other asset, because it is immune to crypto, uh, not crypto, I'm sorry, to cyber uh, risks, such as uh, you know cyber terrorism or cyber theft and so forth. Um, it is really the only independent cyber immune asset in the world where both financial systems, political systems, and the internet infrastructure are all exposed to what I believe to be very significant risks, not catastrophic risks in doomsday sense, but catastrophic financially risks. So and I'm, I'm curious if the overcapacity that you discussed and, and the demographic uh, issues you alluded to, which inhibit economic growth, could also end up inhibiting inflation. In other words, the reason we didn't see inflation because of, the, of QE could be more related to structural issues. And so even if the Fed stops raising rates and starts lowering rates, or um, even if there is some extra money sloshing around, I'm a little skeptical of the idea that all of a sudden it's going to be used and, and flow into prices so that you, you will see consumer inflation. I, I did not mean to suggest that inflation is definitely what we will see. What I keep repeating is that I believe that this will cause diminution of the purchasing power of financial assets. That does not require inflation. That can happen through currency devaluation, uh, which could be a, a result of a sovereign debt crisis. Uh, this could happen through a deflationary bust. So I do not have a view, and I, because I, I can't have a view, I don't know. There are too many moving pieces on whether the excessive debts would be resolved through inflation or deflation. But what is pretty clear is that this excessive indebtedness will have to be resolved one way or another. And if it's not resolved uh, by any kind of proactive uh, action, which I don't believe it will be because there's no political will to do anything like that. We have, for example, a, uh, a ticking time bomb in the form of the pension funds who have been under, uh, starved basically of yield for the past 10 years and are starting to have trouble uh, with meeting their obligations. Not quite yet, but that is coming very, very quickly. I mean, I believe that, um, I think I just read that the uh, social security system, for example, uh, is going to go cash flow negative in the next couple of years, which means whereas today it takes in more than it pays out, it will start taking in less than it pays out, which would require it to liquidate some of the treasury securities that are in its trust fund. Now, the question is who would be buying those treasury securities and at what interest rates? I mean, those are the types of things. But yes, you're right. I am not sure that inflation is the way it's going to go. All I, I think it's debasement. I just don't know which way debasement goes. But gold works perfectly well for debasement in any form. That's why, that's why I've chosen it as a, as a that's why I think it's a, it's a viable solution to a problem. Do, do you think you could talk more about how gold would do in a, that deflationary scenario? It's easy to see how gold would do well as, you know, each dollar's worth less buys, takes more dollars to buy a bit of gold. I kind of understand that. Have it in the deflationary scenario. In a deflationary scenario, um, well, there are different, there are different, levels of deflationary scenario, but fundamentally, with, in a deflationary scenario, the theory goes that uh, the dollar uh, is the cash is worth more. And that's sort of how it was in the 1930s. But you have to look deeper into the 1930s to understand what it meant that the dollar bought more. 
a theoretical dollar buys more, but your dollar may not be accessible to you. And the reason for that is in the 1930s, thousands of banks failed. And even though money could buy a lot, only if you had the money. So the problem is, it, theoretical money bought a lot, nominal money bought a lot, but the actual money that you had were locked up, was locked up in a bank and, and may be wiped out by bank collapse. So I think it's important to delineate the uh, you know, nominal financial discussions as to prices collapsing in dollar terms and your ability to actually access these dollars with which you can buy more assets. So where I see gold in that scenario is even if nominal price of the gold goes down, uh, relative to the destruction of financial assets uh, on a scale that would be commensurate with the type of excesses that we have now, gold's purchasing power would increase dramatically. It doesn't really matter if the gold goes down to $900 an ounce. It, what matters is what does the $900 buy in that environment. So if prices for goods, services, and assets collapse by, I don't know, 60, 70, 80%, and gold goes down by 20, 30, 40%, you, you have, you've accreted purchasing power. Furthermore, to the extent that the dollars uh, are not debased through reorganization or restructuring or devaluation or something else because of the sovereign debt crisis, the question is, what happens to the dollars in the bank? Now, you may you probably follow this, but uh, the Dodd-Frank uh, and also European, um, uh, European Union law have changed the way uh, bank resolution is being treated. And uh, so now the re new regulations call for bail-ins as opposed to bail-outs. So to the extent that this problem is really significant, not only the shareholders of the banks and the bondholders of the banks may have to take a hit, but so will the depositors, particularly in excess of the uh, uh, FDIC guarantee in the United States, which is $250,000. I would suggest that people who think that this guarantee uh, protects them should go to the FDIC website and take a look at what kind of reserves FDIC has uh, against its against its insurance that it offers to everybody, you would notice that uh, it has something like one percent of deposits, which normally may not be a big problem if the financial system was diversified. But it so happens that uh, I think half of deposits are held by four institutions, which is why they're called too big to fail. So a combination of the fact that FDIC does not really have the money. Uh, which would then require the government to bail out of DIC, which is to means to borrow and print more money. I mean, I think you're getting the, the the sense of the circularity of it all. So at some point, there's not enough money, real money in real terms, to meet the obligations both related to debt and to the potential uh, losses. And so in that environment, typically the currency is devalued. By the way, that's what uh, FDR did in, in 1934. He devalued the dollar by 70%. Uh, to make it easier uh, to deal with the, with, with the crisis that, they were, that we were in. And there are calls now to do potentially the same. I'm not saying they will do the same, but that's, that's kind of the, uh, the, the thinking, uh, my thinking on the subject. Simon, that's fantastic. I mean, inflation, deflation, what, the one thing we can guarantee, I'm pretty sure, is that we're going to have one of those. Uh, and uh, so it's great to get your thoughts on, on how it acts in, in both scenarios. So just before we wrap up, just if you could let the listeners know where they can find you. Um, you're Again, you're another must-follow on Twitter, so let them know your Twitter handle and, and how they can find out more about what you do. Sure. Thank you, Grant. Uh, I can be found on uh, Twitter at S underscore uh, Mikhailovich. Uh, and uh, bullionreserve.com is the website, www.bullionreserve.com. And at S underscore Mikhailovich is my Twitter handle.
Fantastic. Simon, always a great pleasure and uh, I look forward to, to doing this again in person soon. Take care, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting how all three of them kind of mentioned the buildup of, of debt, of government debt particularly, as a big, big driving force for gold. Um, and then and then inflation, deflation is really a secondary factor, at least for Simon. So it, it's really that debt that they're all looking for as, as the big, uh, the big, you know, with a capital C catalyst for gold over the next maybe five years or so. Yeah, it, it, when you talk to people who invest in gold, it, it's, I find the whole thing fascinating because, um, you know, uh, people that don't follow the space look at guys who've been talking about the gold price going up, and, and I'm, you know, and I'm one of them. And um, everyone says, oh, you know, you guys are wrong. You're always talking about gold going up as if gold is the only thing that anyone who looks at gold invests all their money. And, you know, the reason why... I love talking to guys like Simon. Is Simon, as he said, he's not a gold bug. He was a, he was a very successful distressed debt investor for a long, long time until he looked at a set of problems and gold was a solution. And it, and it is that to a lot of people. Um, but the price hasn't really done what, uh, what a lot of those people really thought it would do yet. Um, that's not to say it won't. But for now, it's kind of moribund. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in this next phase of this inflation-deflation debate if inflation does start to get the upper hand. Yeah, and, and by the way, all these three people were in a, a two-part documentary that you just hosted about gold, Grant. So I, I'm, I'm curious, first of all, it's a fabulous documentary if anyone uh, is able to watch it on Real Vision. But I'm curious, Grant, because you've been following gold a long time. Is there anything that you were surprised by uh, talking to these people and a bunch of others and, and really di- diving really deep into the gold market there? Do you know, it, yeah, it's... it's um, First of all, we were very privileged um, to get the first ever look inside perhaps the, the, the biggest private gold vault in the world, which is buried somewhere in the Swiss Alps. This is, uh, it's an extraordinary place. It's never before been filmed. Yeah. Um, it's very, very secretive. And, and a good friend of mine, Egon von Greyerts of Matterhorn Asset Management, kindly got us permission to go and film in there. And, you know, I understand the gold market. I've been following the gold market for, for many, many years now. But really, it's not until you see something like this, until you, you get a, an up-close understanding of the lengths people go to to keep this strange yellow metal safe, you, you really understand what it means to people. And and so you know that, to me, was, was an extraordinary thing to, to witness. Um, you know, we also looked at how gold's made and to go into the foundries and see... Uh, the, the, the new, newly cast gold bars on tables waiting to be shipped out. You know, I had the camera guys there and, and I, I pointed to a table and I said, uh, you know, how much do you think that's worth? All these piles of gold bars on there. You know, they, they, they had no idea. I said, that's yeah, worth about $25 million. And the look on their faces, hmm. when, when they looked at that and when you hand someone a gold bar who's never held one before, it's, it's a fascinating thing to see. You know, people's entire demeanour changes when you put this thing that's the size of an iPhone but weighs a kilo in their hands. The density takes a lot of people by surprise. It was it was a fun project to be involved in. Um, the, the, the contributions from the three guests we've had today and a bunch of other uh, real gold experts were was was extraordinary. So yeah, I had, I had a whale of a time, and and I learned something new every time I kind of dig into this uh, this curious corner of the investment market. But listen, we have we have run out of time, and we need to wrap things up. Um, before we go, a quick. Uh, a quick update on the Atlanta Fed GDP now number, which remains at 2.6%, which is which is good. It's been that way for about 45 minutes now, so there is some hope. Before we go, uh, just the usual legal disclaimer to leave you with. Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our contributors. So do your fundamental research, chart your technicals, place your stops, and always trade responsibly. 
We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, if you've got an interesting question about this week's show, or of course anything else you've heard on Adventures in Finance, then we would love to hear from you. So please send us an email or leave us a voice note at podcast at realvision.com. Meanwhile, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Yes, please leave those reviews. Leave those reviews, because every time you don't leave a review, a unicorn dies. To keep up to date with the latest interviews, research publications, and of course, podcast episodes, follow us on Twitter at Real Vision. We're also around on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search for Real Vision. Yes, indeed. You can follow me on Twitter at TTMYGH. You can follow me at Aces Rose. And if you want to, you can follow me at AIF James. You can indeed. That's it from us. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you all next week. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.